0: Good morning, Encounter Church, and welcome. Glad to see each of you here. I hope you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Uh, This is our second week in our uh, verse-by-verse study through uh, this wonderful book. You'll find it there uh, near the beginning of the Bible. It's there in the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. If you're using one of the Bibles at your chairs, you'll find uh, the page 374, 374, uh, and just also one, one other announcement, The students are having their Super Bowl party tonight at 6.30. So students, come on and bring, bring a dish to share and uh, cheer on your favorite team. Or pick a team and cheer them on, right? While the ladies are doing their Bible study, doing the right thing probably, we're going to go and enjoy Su- Super Bowl, right? Enjoy a a football game, which will be fun. God's goodness. Uh, How many of you did your homework this week? Do you remember the homework, the assignment that you were given, right? Did you read through the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter one? And did you look and try to find what maybe that word of repetition was, right? That theme there at the beginning uh, I, there in chapter one, I got a text message from one of you uh, early on there on Sunday afternoon, already nailed it. Uh, so anyone want to venture a guess? What is that theme that maybe that one word? Yana, you want to give it a guess? Okay. Say that again. Me? Okay. Pick the other second word. Lord, man, well, those are two important words. Yeah, I kind of went out on a limb here. Those weren't the words I was looking for, but I'm glad God showed those words to you, Yana. Let me come up here to Christy. Any idea? I got two words, uh, turn and return. Turn and return. Those were actually, return was actually the word that I was looking looking for. I know Enos had emailed me early on Sunday afternoon, and she said, is this the theme? And I said, "Bingo! You hit it right." Uh, so let's go ahead, and with that thought in mind, because remember, where did we find ourselves? Where did we end last week's sermon? Right. We ended last week's sermon with Naomi essentially hitting a roadblock. Right. She was she was there facing uh, a roadblock. She had hit that dead end. Uh, they had ventured off into the land of Moab, as we studied last week, and now. Her not only her husband Elimelech was dead, but now her two sons were dead, and now Naomi is left with her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. What is Ruth going or what is Naomi going to do? And with the thought in mind of return, that word, I want you to keep that in mind as I then read through the rest of chapter one. All right. So let's go ahead and I I'll kind of Uh, We'll we'll ramp up to it starting in verse 5, where both Malon and Kilion also died. That's Naomi's sons. And it says, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. She's at a dead end. What's Naomi going to do? And it says in verse 6, when Naomi heard heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to... Return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, return each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Oh, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, we see again a, a key word in these re, in, in in this chapter in this latter portion of chapter 1 is that idea of returning all right it's this idea of the reality that Naomi that Elimelech Naomi's husband and their two sons had left the Bethlehem the promised land in search of kind of making their own way in search of providing for their own selves So they went to Moab, they started off with the idea of just sojourning there, right, just for a little bit of time, and then over time they realized that they were stuck there now for 10 years, and then everything is essentially stripped away from Naomi, and now she's faced with this question, what do I do? Do I continue to move forward on my own, or the idea, the theme here of returning, In the Old Testament, and we're actually going to spend the next two weeks looking at these verses here. In fact, this morning, we're just going to look at verse 6. And then next week, we'll finish the chapter out. But we're going to see how this idea of returning in the Old Testament is this idea of repentance, right? I've, I've gone this direction. Repentance is the acknowledgement of I'm going the wrong way, I need to turn around, and I need to return and go back this direction. I thought about this uh, this week as I was preparing this sermon, and I thought, you know, could you imagine a world that did not have reverse? Right? Could you imagine a world, and like um, automatically when we think of reverse, we, we all put ourselves in that driver's seat, don't we? Right? But think of a world that didn't have any reverse, that The only direction you can go is always straight. It would be interesting for all of us to count how many times during the course of our driving, every day, we actually use reverse, right? Now, sometimes, of course, you know, you're backing into a place, but oftentimes we use reverse because maybe we've gotten ourselves in a pickle, Right? Maybe we're, we misjudged, the other day I was, I was driving our, our, our family bus, right? actually this was just uh, on Friday, driving the family bus and I was trying to turn around in a cul-de-sac and I misjudged it and I came face to face, there's some neighbor's dumpsters right there in, in the middle of the road and I thought, Boop, I better put this in reverse and, and this bus has the benefit of the beeping noise and so it wakes up all the neighbors, right? beep, beep, beep and so I put it in reverse and, but can you imagine a world that didn't have reverse? Right? You're just always blowing through things, right? Move out of my way. Right? Get out of my way. I'm coming through. Now, we, we laugh at that in driving, but think about that in our own lives. This idea of reverse, of acknowledging and saying, man, you know, I've gone the wrong way, or I've misjudged a situation, or my selfish desires have, lev- have led me down this road, and with reverse being this beautiful idea of being repentance. Of being willing to just kind of stop and say, I need, to, I need to back up a little bit. And I need to acknowledge that where I've gone is not where I should have gone in the first place. And I need to put it in reverse. I need to return. Boy, I, I think our relationships would probably be uh, a lot better if we all practiced putting our lives at times in reverse and acknowledging our wrongdoing and repenting. This is what we have here. It's this idea of returning. And here in verse 6, again, this is where we'll focus our time this morning. And verse 6 really is the pivot point for Naomi. It's that pivot point because verse 5 ends up, she's at this dead end, right? Right? They've kind of charted their own course. Everything is stripped away. Naomi then is at this point where she has to decide, am I going to continue charging forward on my own or am I going to pivot and am I going to return? We see it here in verse six, all right? I've got, I'll put it up here on the screen for you. All right. It says, when Naomi heard, it's on the screen, but I encourage you, still, still use your Bibles. All right, uh, Use your Bibles and, and, and take notes and make notations in it. But it says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return, reverse, beep, beep, right? Return home from there. It's that that about face. It's that pivot point. And we notice there's something that motivated Naomi. Right? There's something that motivated Naomi to return home. And you see there in the early early sentences of that verse, it says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, then she and her daughters-in-law Prepared to return. They they heard the news that God's kindness had returned to Bethlehem. To the people, It it was that pivot point in her lives. It was God's kindness here that motivated Naomi to return home. You see, Naomi reversed the direction that she and her husband had previously taken. She's now turning away from moab she's turning away from the errors of her past she's turning away from the the tragic graves of her loved ones and she's now headed back to bethlehem she's headed back to the land of judah to the promised land her homeland and we see this verse is the turning point of it all there's a, also another verse that i'm reminded of as we as we were reminded that oh, you right News of God's kindness had reached Naomi's ears. God has his hand of blessing was now over Bethlehem. The people had repented of their sin. They'd returned to the Lord and God was now blessing them. They were experiencing God's kindness and news of that reached Naomi's ears. And she says, it's time for me to go back home. I'm reminded of a verse in Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Where Paul speaks of God's kindness. Where it says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. The pivot point. God's kindness has returned. Cause Naomi then to do an about face. And to begin making preparations to return back home. It's the assurance of God's kindness that prompted Naomi to return to Bethlehem. You see, the kindness of God to us, when we remember it, when we, when we reflect upon it, when we believe it in our hearts, it really should change the disposition that we have toward God. Right? It's, it, it's really not our sin that causes us to return to the Lord, right? Our sin is only going to continue dragging us on our way in the opposite direction. It's not our sin. Instead, it's the news of one who will forgive me of my sin that causes me to now turn from that sin. It's news that there's a kind God when I return home so the big idea for this morning's sermon, as we take time to kind of tear into verse 6, is this. Is that God's kindness paves the road to repentance. That God's kindness that Naomi sees is going to pave the road of repentance for her. Now we're going to see this week and next week, there's incredible overlap between this account of Naomi, and, and we'll be getting further into Ruth herself, right? But we're still dealing with Naomi right here. That God uses Naomi in, a, in an incredible way to bring her back. But there's this incredible overlap between Naomi and the parable of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Because you remember, it was the prodigal son, his story is somewhat similar. He set about his way. Right? He he went away full. He squandered it all. And there in the pig pen, what was it that prompted him to leave the pig pen and to start heading back toward home? His father's kindness. His dad's kindness. He said, My dad is kind. My, my dad's food that he gives to his servants is better than the food that I'm eating here in the pig pen. Oh, that my dad would just be kind enough to me, and I know he will, just to give me some food off the plate of his servants. Then I'll get up and I'll make my way home. There's incredible overlap that we're going to see. And so I'll be, I'll be kind of referring to occasionally to that parable of the prodigal son. So there's three points here that we see in this one verse. All right, we're going to see the news of God's kindness We're going to see the faithfulness of God's kindness. And then we're going to see the provision of God's kindness. The news, the faithfulness, and the provision of God's kindness. Let's look first at the news of God's kindness. All right, so verse 6, right? The start of verse 6 tells us that the famine was over in Bethlehem. And this news had made its way to Moab. And it says, "When when Naomi heard in Moab, all right, what this news signifies is that God's people had indeed repented, that the cycle of disobedience was now on the upswing. And we discussed that some last week. How how it's during the period of judges, and they would obey, and and God would 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 withhold his blessing from them. And or when they would obey, he would bless them. When they would then fall into disobedience, he would withhold their blessing from them. And it was just like a roller coaster ride. And so what we can see here is that the fact that the famine was over signifies that the people of Beth- Bethlehem had repented, that they have turn- returned to the Lord. And the cycle of disobedience was now on the upswing. They were obeying and honoring the Lord, and God's blessing had, re- had returned. His favor had been restored. And f- in other words, you might say that life had returned to the city streets of Bethlehem. So the question then that the unfamiliar reader would ask is that the famine has, has, has ceased, right? God's blessing is back. The, the, the logical question that you might ask is how is Naomi going to respond to the news of God's kindness to his people? The question that Naomi might even ask is is it possible for someone who's dwelt in the land of Moab for potentially 11 or 12 years, is it possible for her to return home? And because you read the chapter this week, you know the answer to that question. Naomi and her Moabite daughters-in-law responded with the desire to return. We have to also understand that Naomi's return is not simply physical, but it's also a, spirit, there's a spiritual return. It's a repentance from sin. There's a turning back to. It's an acknowledgement that she's going to, again, trust in the Lord. That she's going to return to God's blessing again. Now, I want you to imagine, what if the news of God's kindness to the people of Bethlehem had never made it to the land of Moab? Right? What if that? Right? What would the end of Naomi's life have been? Would we even know, would, would we even be reading out of the book of Ruth if, if, God's, if the news of God's kindness had not spread? Now, we don't know exactly how the news got to Moab, the passage doesn't tell us how the good news of God's kindness traveled to Naomi. I mean, today, news like this can travel in, in the blink of an eye, can it, right? Uh, news has a way of traveling thousands of miles in our day, right? It, it can travel thousands of miles in a nanosecond, right? Before the push of a button, or, or just simply with the push of a button. And it was certainly a lot different in Naomi's day. Right? We, we forget that when we read a passage like this and when it says, when Naomi heard in Moab, well, how did she hear? Because news did not travel like it does today. In fact, the distance from Bethlehem to Moab was 70 to 80 miles. Now, I understand, right? Again, in our day, when some of us fly down the road 80 plus miles an hour, right? Occasionally, I mean, some of you fly down the road at 80 plus miles an hour, right? Right, we, 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 we can make up that time in, in a really short amount of time. But again, 70, 80 miles an hour, especially over the, the terrain of that day, we're, we're not just talking about an, an interstate here that's been flattened where we've blown through mountainsides to make the level pl- really flat. I mean, we're talking up and down, up and down, up and down. It would have been a 7 to 10 day uh, travel, uh, a trip on foot. And in the ancient world, news was often carried largely by caravan traders or other travelers. So we don't know exactly how the news of God's kindness reached Moab. All we know is that it got there. It very well could have been maybe a longtime family friend of Elimelech's and Naomi's. Who may have said, "You know what? I remember the Lemuel and Naomi, and they they got out of Dodge about twelve years ago when times got tough. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they've heard the news that the famine's over. Maybe they set out on their own to take the news to Naomi." The point being is that somehow, in some way, and by someone. Let me say that again. The point being is that somehow, in some way, and by someone, they knew, the news made it to Naomi's he- ears in the distant land of Moab. That God's kindness was now being poured out over the people of Bethlehem. Isaiah 52.7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation who say to zion your god reigns how beautiful on the mountains are the feet and i wonder as i think about this we understand the benefit of this good news to naomi's ears of god's kindness that it caused her When Naomi heard that the famine was over in Moab, that was the pivot point. Hearing that good news, someone brought it to her. I even imagine, what if the good news of God's kindness had never traveled to your ears? Where would you be? How would your life be different? What dead end would you still be facing? And with that thought also in mind, I wonder how are we declaring the good news of God's kindness to others? How is your life, your actions, your attitudes, your words? How are you a continual message board spreading the good news that God's kindness is waiting for us? In a similar way that the news of God's kindness promised prompted Naomi to return, God very well might use you as an ambassador of the news of God's kindness that's available to others. And that we should let the news of God's kindness pave the road for others to return to him. So we see here in verse 6, the news, right? When she heard, when Naomi heard in Moab, well, what did she hear? She heard the faithfulness of God's kindness. This is next then, right? When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord, that the Lord, this is the first mention of the Lord. This is the first mention of God in this, in, in this, in this book. And the name that is used here is the covenant keep, is the name of God's covenant-keeping nature. It's that name Yahweh or Jehovah, anytime you see, especially there, and right, throughout Scripture, in particular there in the Old Testament, anytime you see, and if you look there at your copy of God's Word, the Bible there, Not, uh, I guess it wasn't up here on the screen, but the, the Bible here, it says, you notice that the Lord, L-O-R-D, that's in all caps, and what they've done is they've, they've put, they've capitalized that to distinguish and to help us understand that the name of the Lord there in the Hebrew language was his covenant-keeping nature, the name that, that, that God referred to himself as essentially being I am, right? It's the name that is used in reference to God keeping his promises. It's the name that is used of God being, uh, indicating his character, That he's the one who is faithful. The word used here that when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, what she's acknowledging is, is God's faithfulness to his people. The covenant keeping name of the Lord declares God's faithfulness. And it's the measure of God's past faithfulness, right? A faithfulness revealed time and time again to the generations that were before that by this measure of faithfulness that Naomi knows she can return. So let's kind of, let's, let's think about the, the parable of the prodigal son. He's there in the pig pen, right? His thoughts in the pig pen go back to his previous experience with his father. Growing up with his father, seeing how his father treated other people and the kindness that his father showed to other people. The prodigal son who had tried to chart his own course, finds himself in the pig pen. His mind is drawn back to his father's kindness, the faithfulness, the consistency of Of his dad's kindness. And so he's thinking to himself, man, if dad was kind to those people, because he's a consistent dad and because he's a faithful dad, that when I show up at his doorstep, that same kindness is going to be there available for me. And so now Naomi, dead end, no longer has her husband. No longer has her two sons. In that day and age, she no longer has a future. She heard it. The good news of God's kindness got to her. And and what is what was the nature of God that came to her mind? He's faithful, he's a covenant keeper, he keeps his promises. And so, with that thought in mind, she thought, "If if he's going to keep his promises with everyone else, then I too, his kindness that paves the way back to him, I can trust that he will also be faithful to me." Do you see how God's kindness is intended to draw us back to Him, to re, that, that it, how His kindness paves that road of repentance? Because we have a certainty of his past actions. We know that he's going to be consistent in the future when we return. Recently, I allowed my heart to grow sour toward my wife, Marin. It wasn't a very long period of time. It was only over the course of an afternoon and evening when my heart had become embittered. I don't know exactly why. It wasn't a long time, so it wasn't like weeks and weeks and weeks. It was only a handful of hours, but frankly, it, was, it wasn't too long, but it was, it was long enough. And during that time, my actions toward my wife were short. short. My words toward her were hurtful. My demeanor was anything but encouraging. Later that evening, I sat on the living room couch. Maren had already gone to bed. And I'm sitting there on the living room couch. And I'm filled with frustration. Not toward Maren, but honestly, more toward myself. Wishing that I had chosen differently earlier in the day. And so I sat there sat there on the couch, looking at the fireplace and there's this internal struggle and probably many of us have had similar struggles like this. Am I going to continue to bull forward in my stubbornness or am I going to choose to repent and return back to the right relationship and to acknowledge my wrongdoing And so I'm going back and forth, sitting there on the couch, and the evening's getting later, choosing whether or not I would repent and ask for Maren's forgiveness or if I would continue to sulk, allowing my sour heart to spill into and spoil the next day, right? You think it's all going to be better if you just sleep on it over the night. It doesn't happen, does it? My decision was motivated by the past 23 plus years of experience that I've had with Maren. Who she has faithfully offered love and forgiveness every time I've come and said, will you please forgive me? And there is a kindness that is undeserved by me but there's a kindness that my wife displays toward me time and time and time again when I have to acknowledge that I've been, I have been wrong and I need to return and ask you to forgive me. And the same, and the same was true that evening. I went in by her bed and she's in tears. And I acknowledge. I said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I went there certain. I knew her answer. I wasn't taking advantage of her answer. I just knew her answer because I knew that this is a consistency that's been displayed in her life all these years. And the words that, I, that my repentance was met with was, yes, I forgive you. They were not words of bitterness or shame that sometimes were tempted to say like, "Well, I told you so," or it's about time," or "What took you so long." It was her faithfulness and her kindness that moved me off of that couch. and to her side, to where I could say, "Will you forgive me?" This is the idea. Do, do you understand, right? Can you, can you kind of grasp what's taking place? The Lord, the covenant keeper, the faithful one who holds true to his promises that when we return to him, there is no longer condemnation, but there's forgiveness and there's kindness. Kindness. And keep in mind, God does not exercise various degrees of faithfulness, right? He's not wishy-washy in his <laughs> kindness toward us or his faithfulness. Oh, I don't know, what you did was kind of, kind. I can't really talk about that, right? Uh, he, he's not wishy-washy in it, he's, he's consistent, he's faithful. And his kindness, the faithfulness of his kindness is not dependent on our feelings, how we feel about it. The faithfulness of God means that he will be completely consistent and will never act outside his character. That he will be faithful to his people for a thousand generations. There it is. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant of of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, think of the relief that must have fallen on Naomi's heart when her ears heard the news that Yahweh, the faithful God, the covenant keeper, the one who holds fast to his promises, that his kindness has returned again. So I wonder, in those times when maybe we've wandered away from the Lord, and we found ourselves entrapped in sin. We are easy targets for the lies of Satan to fill our minds and our hearts. And what happens is some of those, those old lies come up, right? When, we, when we're over here and we're trying to figure out, am I going to return or not? Some of those old lies come up like God has forgotten you. Or God doesn't love you anymore. Or God has written you off. Or God won't forgive you. Or God is... Really disappointed in you. Have you ever heard those lies whispered in your ears? Or maybe even you're so far off track, you're so far into the land of Moab that God no longer has a plan for your life. Or maybe we even believe that God just simply wants me to, to see me fail. It's those lies that have a way of keeping us from that pivot point from returning and instead here it is the covenant keeper the faithful god is there to receive you will we go on then and this is probably the clincher isn't it because this is the verse that we often remind ourselves of and this should honestly take on even more meaning that if we confess our sins what does it say He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There it is. He's faithful. He will forgive you. And I wonder, church, do you allow the kindness of God to remind you of His forgiveness? One gal from the church this week emailed this to me. She said that on the mornings when I get up early and I spend time with the Lord, His kindness and goodness always overwhelm me. It's so easy to then repent in His presence. And He floods me with love and assurance. He reaffirms His acceptance of me. He never makes me feel guilty or ashamed. It's always only goodness and gentleness. And I could just sit in that moment forever. The news of God's kindness reached Naomi. She's reminded of his faithfulness now that's seen in his kindness. And then finally, we see the provision of God's kindness. We next see the provision of God's kindness. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab the news that the Lord, the faithful God, that he had come to the aid of his people by providing what? By providing food for them. By providing food for them. Provision. Our hearts have the tendency to turn away from the Lord for provision. And all, honestly, this is how Elimelech, this is how Naomi and her family ended up in Moab in the first place. Is that they turned away from the Lord. Right? right? That, that, that time of of discipline, right? That famine that had had come up in Bethlehem originally should have gotten the attention of their hearts and they should have returned to the Lord and cry out to the Lord right there in Bethlehem in the land of promise and they should say, God, we have erred in our ways. We have sinned. We cry out to you. We depend on you for, for your provision, for your food. But instead, what happened is Elimelech took his family into foreign territory, into enemy territory in hopes of the pastures being greener over there and they were right isn't that how sin is though <laughs> sin always does appear a little bit greener for a season frankly i doubt that elimelech and naomi had in mind that their departure from bethlehem uh, was going to was going to find themselves at this heartbreaking end or what seemed to be a dead end right I doubt they had that in mind. Again, Elimelech only intended to sojourn there, we, we learned that last week, just for a short period of time. I sense that Elimelech probably was very well-intentioned in his decision to go to Moab, wanting to care for and to provide for his family, and it seems that he clearly had the financial means to do that. In fact, what seems to have happened in these tragic, in those early verses, verses one through five, um, what happened we face the same temptations every day and what is that temptation to trust in ourselves rather than turning to the, toward the lord to trust in ourselves just a little bit more every day and in so doing as we trust in ourselves we fall away from we move one step further away from trusting in the lord and his care and his provision and it's that, that continual underlying current, that ever constant tug of, of trusting in ourselves, that pride of trusting in ourselves that ultimately leads us into foreign territory to where we wake up one day and we say, how in thunder did I get here? How did I leave? Where did I go wrong? How did I leave the side of God and end up trusting in myself? I don't think any of us should read these early verses and walk away thinking to ourselves, well, I am so glad I'm not like Elimelech or Naomi, (laughs) right? I am so glad I'm nothing like them because all of us battle the temptation to believe that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, or in this case, on the other side of the Jordan River, right? We'd rather fatten our bellies with the world's provision that seems readily available and tangible than to allow God to stretch our faith and wait for the manna from heaven. Right, don't, let's think about it, right? Most days we don't wake up and anticipate how the Lord is going to provide for us. Do you wake up in the morning and think, Lord, I can't wait to see where my daily bread comes from. Instead, most days we wake up ignoring the Lord. We hit the ground running, determined to provide for ourselves without ever giving the Lord a second thought. Instead of trusting in God's provisions, we trust in our own provisions. We trust in the size of our estate. We trust in the the hard work of our own hands. We trust in a relationship to fulfill us. We trust in the 401k. Maybe you trust in the government. Maybe you trust in the promise of a future inheritance. Whatever it is, we have the tendency to trust in everything else, in everyone else, and everyone else but God. It's the provision of God's kindness that causes Naomi to pivot around, to return. It says that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. What do we, we learn is that the Lord had paid attention to the need of his people by providing them with nourishment, with food. There's great significance in the phrase that the Lord had visited his people. It tells us that he had, intent, like when you think of going and visiting someone, it's like I've intentionally set out to provide aid for them The report that Naomi received is not expressed in terms of giving anything or anyone else the credit for the food, right? What does it say? The Lord has come to the aid. The Lord has visited the people and he's provided food for them. There's a direct connection between the one who has provided for his people, right? The, the, The phrase doesn't come to Naomi, right? This is not what is said. Well, the weather has finally broken. We got a good couple weeks of rain showers and look at this, there's food again, right? Or, or the, the foreign aid has, has finally arrived, right? The ships have sailed in and the food has now been dispersed. Now all of these certainly could have been part of some sort of recovery effort and in our day they certainly are. But here's a central theme in the Bible is that all of life is eventually traced directly back to the hand of God. And what happens is, credit is given where credit is due. That the Lord, the faithful God, has shown kindness to His people by coming to their aid and meeting their need. Helpful verse is this, Psalm 104, 14-15. He, being God, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. I remember growing up, there was this little, this old book that we used to read, and I don't even know what the title of it is. I'm sure probably in the short span of minutes my wife will Google it and find the title and have already or- ordered it at Amazon, and it'll be at our doorstep by the time we get home. But there's this book... That, that, that it says, like, it has a picture. It starts off with the picture of a family sitting around a table. And little Johnny thanks his mom and says, Mom, thank you for the meal, right? And say they had a hamburger. And this is a very wide paraphrase. Uh, you'll get the idea, All right? Thank you for the hamburger, right? And so he says, Mom, thanks for the meal. And, you know, thanks for the hamburger. And mom says, oh, well, don't thank me. You need to thank the butcher, who made the ground beef, right? Who put it to, oh, okay, so little Johnny gets up, because this is what we all do, gets up from his stable, walks over to the butcher, right? And he says, Mr. B- Mr. Butcher Man, thank you for for the meat that was on the table for the hamburger. And the butcher says, well, don't thank me. Thank the farmer down the road who raised the cattle. And so little Johnny walks down to the farmer, right? You get you get the progression here. And he thanks the farmer, and the farmer says, well, don't thank me, <laughs> Go thank the cow, right? You know, go, f- go thank the cattle, which, I mean, are you, I guess I don't know how the cattle would feel about that, but, but so he goes back in time and he thanks the cow, right? <laughs> he says, you know, thank thank you for <laughs> giving your life, right? And the cow, and uh, this is how the story, and maybe they're dealing with a sweater. I don't know what it is, but you get the idea. But eventually, right, the animal says, well, don't thank me, right? Thank the God of heaven, you know, who sent the rains to grow the grass, it's that, because, but our tendency is this, is we, is we stop short of getting back to the original provider. Naomi is, the news that reaches Naomi's ears is this, is that there's a kind God who's faithful to his people and who will meet his needs, meet your needs. And who will provide to you? Won't you return? Won't you pivot and go back and trust him? See, the food that's now available in Bethlehem is understood as being a gift from God. And this food was providing Naomi a way of escape from Moab. It was a way in which God providentially move the events in the story in such a way that Naomi is going to leave Moab. Now there's some, she's going to have an, a great gal who comes along with her, and we'll learn about this in the coming weeks, right? But how God moves, how he woos her back in saying, I will meet your needs. I will provide for you. I'm a kind God. I can be trusted. And church, I wonder how often do we allow the daily ways that God provides and meets for our needs, how often do we allow that to give us a grander picture of God's kindness to us, right? How often do we do that? How often are we reminded that God is, it's the Lord who has, who has provided the clothes on your back, It's the Lord who gives you shelter from the rain at night. It's the Lord who gives you food on your table. Such a kind God. Such a kind father and here I am in the pig pen, the prodigal son said. What am I doing here when my dad's back there? If only I would just get up and return to him. Church, we should all have a notebook and record all of these instances of, of God's kindness that are so kind in insignificant ways, insignificant to us. I'll give you two of them real quick, all right? I can't not give these to you. A couple, these are so insignificant, but it caused my wife and I and our family just to say, uh, I Why? Other than the fact that God is so nice. He's so kind to us. And he woos us back. So we, a couple weeks ago we were. We ran out of dog food on a Saturday night. We get a phone call. Did I tell you all this? Maybe I did right. We get a phone call from Thatcher. Maren and I were out. Just the two of us. We get a phone call from Thatcher. And he says mom and dad. We're out of dog food. Oh okay great. Well I mean they. Like for our dog. Uh, and he says we're out of dog food. What, what are we going to do? And we thought well. We'll, we'll get some tomorrow. We show up here at church and someone walks up to my wife and says this, do you need some dog food? I'm not kidding you. And it's like, yes, we do need some dog food. I mean, our dog needs some dog food, but yes, we need, a member of our family needs some dog food. Yes. Why? God's kindness. Then earlier, earlier, uh actually in December, we were having this incredible pancake feast, all right? And uh our children have the tendency, and I and so do I, right? Like, like when you're eating pancakes, right, you you put butter, you, all of you put butter and syrup on your pancakes, right? Butter and syrup, butter and and like we we layer, I do, my and my children do too, my wife doesn't, but like butter should be spread like frosting, thick, okay? <laughs> And so so like we put the butter on these pancakes, and then you get this syrup, and our kids, we just kind of let them, you know, govern themselves in this, and they're just all over. And my wife is just seeing all and these were nice syrups and whatnot. And and she's seeing all this syrup, just dousing these pancakes, you know, so you almost like drink the pancake and slurp it down with the syrup. And, and Maren's saying, God, kids, kids, slow down, slow down. You know, not so much syrup, all this bit. The next day, a neighbor who I've spoken to, who I'd spoken to previously on two accounts, two, two occasions, he stops in to our house, completely unannounced, and he said, I was just up visiting my dad in New York. My dad has a maple syrup farm. He pulls out a half-gallon jug of pure maple, like none of that cheap stuff. And that's stu- that, not, not to, the person who gave it. It's not cheap. Don't take that route like, re- like this is the stuff we are definitely going to govern. I mean, you are not going to be dousing your pink. <laughs> he pours, he pulls out this half-gallon of pure maple syrup. And he said, I just brought some just to give to your family. Only but a kind God. <laughs> Why? I could have gotten Aunt Jemima in the, in, the, in the grocery store. But it's not just syrup. It's like the good stuff. Only a kind God does that. So why would, I sti- why would I continue to try to, to bulldoze my own, my own way? Why would I do that? When the Lord says, come back to me. Return to me. And you'll be met with my kindness as it paves the path back home. And God does that not only for those who trust in Him, but He also causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And church, I wonder if you've not trusted in Jesus, who ultimately is His final provision for our greatest need. Ultimately, right, the kindness of God... The the ultimate kindness of God is shown to us through Jesus Christ. And we get all these other glimpses of his kindness that's shown to all of us for the purpose of helping us to return from our ways. If you continue to go your own way, that is the path of destruction. All right? That's That's the path of death. The kindness of God leads you to the path to return to him of life. And to believe that Jesus is the final provision to meet our need. Right? Here's the gospel right here. The good news is coming to you. Right? I'm going to share with you the good news that there's a kind God who loves you. That there's a God who's faithful to those who trust in him. That, w- that he is faithful to forgive you of your sin. And he will meet your, your, your deepest need. And that's for a savior. That he'll provide that. In fact, in Ephesians 2.7, it says it says, so that in the ages to come, that God might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness, in kindness toward us, how is that kindness toward us shown? In Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2:7. That Jesus is the ultimate display of God's kindness. And so my encouragement to you is to leave the pig pen like the prodigal son. To leave the dead end like Naomi. And to return, to turn back to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, now I just ask, Lord, that your spirit would continue to do his work we thank you, God, that your spirit uh, speaks to us, takes, takes the, the, these words of truth here in Scripture and then helps drive them even deeper into our hearts. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would cause us uh, to respond. And, uh, Lord, uh, use these attempts to explain your word. And I pray, God, that uh, there would be, uh, that you would change our hearts through it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.